What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Vincenzo Villamina. And I think that's definitely the, the biggest way to kind of build up your practice and show value. You know, on top of just the, you know the, the daily customer service and, and and answering emails quickly and all that sort of thing is, is being able to really quantify how uh, how you've helped them and how you've increased their bottom line. This is another episode of our innovation and leadership series, where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Vincenzo, thanks for being on the show. Jess, thanks for having me. So I think you've got a little bit more of an exciting life than a lot of people where you get to move around and pick what countries in South America you want to live in or come home and, uh, and have the entrepreneurial success of doubling revenues every year for the last five years in a row. Um, but you, you didn't start running online tax men. Um, weren't you in the private equity world to begin with? Yeah, no, I spent some time uh, doing private equity. I did the big four accounting uh, thing to get my CPA. So it wasn't all, uh, you know, glamour in the in the initial years. But um, I also think that's kind of important to to, to, to have that experience and 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 structure before you, you become this sort of jet setting entrepreneur. Sure, um, you know, one of the things, and and I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial stuff that'll be fun to talk about today. Um, managing teams, marketing, these kind of things. But um, for me, you know, with my finance background, I'm always interested in fundraising stories. Um, can you talk a bit about your time at the PE Fund and, and helping close the $300 million for the, the medical uh, investment you guys were putting together? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a very interesting time um, because, you know, it was right around it was right around 2008, nine, and and there wasn't a lot of action in the market but yet there was still some cash um you know that 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 funds wanted to be put to, to use and so we uh we went around and marketed a uh, a medical billing roll-up um and actually there was also a uh, healthcare it aspect to it but the main point was to buy medical billing companies which is a really fragmented market um combine them together achieve certain economies of scale and then also uh, do some job outsourcing and so um you know, it really kind of taught me 
just the basics, obviously, about how firms fundraise, you know, obviously either VC firms or really in this case, it was more private, like growth equity. But, um, but again, kind of going around with my bosses on this road show, trying to pitch to people, you know, getting feedback and obviously trying to make adjustments to our models and to our presentations to, uh, to really cater to, 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 to what the clients wanted and, and ultimately, obviously, uh, fundraise for the, for the company. And, and for people who, who maybe haven't been a part of something like that, you know, I think words like a roll-up, there's these buzzwords that a lot of people have heard, but they don't always understand why that makes money. Can you give an example of the kind of economy of scale you guys were looking for of, hey, if we put these guys together, we wouldn't have to duplicate this cost or something? Right. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, basically medical billing, right, is, is a very fragmented industry, right? I mean, doctors need these medical billing companies in order to, to bill insurances and also collect money from insurance companies. And so when you combine a bunch of these small little companies, obviously each company, you know, the bigger company doesn't need the same level of management or even the same um, you know, accounts receivable. Well, there's a lot of kind of crossover jobs that once you combine the company – um, there's going to be a lot of duplicative jobs. Um, and obviously you might be able to negotiate better prices on services, be it, um, you know, some, you know, buying equipment or, or, or whatnot. And so again, when you roll up these companies, meaning you buy a bunch and you combine them into a larger conglomerate, if you will, um, again, you do save a lot on, uh, on combining jobs and, 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 and services, et cetera. And so that was kind of the point of the rollover was that we were combining these small companies, create a bigger company, and at the time um, saving money on 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 mostly staffing, um, but other aspects of the uh, the company that were duplicative uh, when you combine several of them together. You know, f- from a innovation perspective, we're always you know in the show we're we're so interested in the new ideas that can harness things differently. And the media loves to talk about new gadgets or, you know, that's kind of like an innovation of choice. The new, you know, a car like a Tesla or the, the new gadget that can invent things this way. Um, to me, I feel like um, there is a different kind of innovation that gets glossed over a lot when you think about financial innovations and the things that have changed in the world because someone has figured out a new way to pay for something. Or, you know, you talk about a roll up like this. Um, do you did you find that the more you got into the industry that you you got more interested in financial innovation? I think I think it was one of those things where once you got into the industry, you realize how archaic it was. And I mean, I think that just kind of is, is an assessment of, of the healthcare industry in general, right? And we look at kind of the inefficiencies, et cetera. And um, you're right, though. I mean, when you when you when you really dig into the details, and as we were doing these roll ups and combining companies and trying to trying to obviously identify uh, areas for, for cost savings. Um, yeah, we were really, I mean, I was at least uh, taken aback by, again, all the inefficiencies of, of, of these, of this, this type of industry. Right. And um, I think that, you know, again, has is something to be said when you look at a lot of industries and you dig into details and that's why, you know, companies hire consulting firms or there's M and a firms that focus on combining two companies um, as you really do get to see um, some of the you know, really fat, if you will, that, that you, you get to kind of um, uh, optimize um, when you really look at the details. It is interesting to me. It's like, a, you know, we were talking about Tetris in terms of taxes. But to me, it's the same thing here. 
it's funny, like how geeky it can be to like have an Excel spreadsheet show you some massive inefficiency that you're like, nobody, it's just that probably nobody ever thought about this before. Nobody realized that this and that are both happening and they both, we don't need both. Right. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at like these small companies and again, they're not, I don't know, they're not thinking outside the box, I think on sometimes and it just takes someone an outsider to really identify the sort of pain points. And, and then it's like, Oh, of course it looks so obvious at the end. Yeah. Well, and there's also the marketing advantages, you know, I was up at the park city, had this great innovation conference a couple of weeks ago called thin air. And they had the CEO from under armor involved. And again, like not taking the obvious route to things like I expected him to talk about going head to head with Nike on, you know, the rubber is better on our shoes or something. Right. And right. his approach was a completely different way. They went and bought a whole bunch of app companies that were healthcare apps and fitness apps. And uh-huh. I, I think they spent $700 buying My Pit, My Fitness Pal and some of these other apps. And they now have the world's largest fitness community under one roof. It's all under Under Armour. Really? And they've got actually uh, countries from around the world that come to them for information because uh, one of their apps that's like where you register what you ate that day kind of thing. It gathers uh-huh. more information on what the human race eats than any other source on earth. So like governments are coming to them for information and stuff now. Really? But what it does, it gives them this huge market leadership point of, hey, we're going to translate why buying this gear actually makes your life better. And, and the approach that he went was, was the roll up on, on relationships instead of on better rubber, which I, it was really fascinating to hear the guy. He's super passionate about it, but kind of, you know, going in through the side door instead of head on, like you always think. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. Well, um, I kind of feel like the tax business is the same too. You know, we, the media, pe- entrepreneurs talking to each other, we're always talking about growing revenues or, or um, how are you going to get more customers or more loyal customers or things like this. And, and yet for most of us, the number one expense we'll ever pay is taxes. And it's, it's easy. I think people are so annoyed by them or, or maybe they feel intimidated by, not wanting to do anything that risks an audit. And, and so there's a lot of people that shy away from optimizing and, and only paying what they need to. Um, what, what are your thoughts as far as, um, as entrepreneurs think about taxes, especially the cross-border stuff, moving people back and forth, um, you know, dealing with, do I have to file this this year versus that year? Um, how, how do you help customers feel c- comfortable um, really you know, getting taxes to what the really appropriate level instead of overpaying? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, I mean, obviously it's always a case-by-case basis, but I think the first thing is, at least for us, is also identifying the right customer, right? I mean, some customers mm. are we want to work with more than others. Um, and, you know, it's definitely in, in our industry, you know, 80% of the problems come from 20% of the customers, right? <laughs> and so, you know, A, it's being able to convey, sure, our value, but again, I think I also have a very niche industry, right, which is, okay, it's taxes, but it's really focused on, um, American citizens living abroad or foreign people that are investing or moving or living or working in the United States. So um, obviously the first step is sure is conveying our value, which is really through the knowledge that we, that we bring and, and allowing people to, to ask questions, et cetera, to, um, to, to understand their situation, obviously show that we have value, but then, at the same time, I'm also assessing, you know, how complex is the client going to be, like literally how complicated the situation is and, and, and how are they going to be as a client, 
right? Because if they're uh, if they seem like a complicated client, you know, we might take them on. Um, we might, um, uh, you know, see if there's going to be any sort of extra, you know, fee or whatnot to, to bake in there because they, they're going to be someone that asks a lot of questions. It's going to need a lot of handholding. Um, and so I think it, it it's also kind of a two-way street as far as understanding the client first and at the same time demonstrating value. Um, and then from there, I think you're right. I think it's a matter of, of obviously retaining the clients because it is something that we're going to work together year after year um, on their situation. Obviously, making sure the clients are happy, we're giving best service, delivering that value, um, and then, and then of course, um, they're going to refer us, and then, and they're going to, you know, they're going to be be our client for a long time. But I think it's that first initial year and that first initial conversation we really feel each other out, and that's um, and that's where you you, you kind of gauge, okay, this is the relationship we want, and then we take it from there. Sure. Um, when you think about this, I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously there's, there's startups that, that have rapid growth and there's a lot of other entrepreneurs that wish they were doubling revenue every year. Um, what do you think it is? I mean, good customer service, it's something easy to say. When you think about an actual example of, of something you've done for someone that's turned into referrals or things like that, are there specific experiences you think, um, that you could relate or, or a story you could tell us about, you know, here's something that maybe wasn't obvious or here's exactly how we did something that I know turned into them talking about us or that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, to, to obviously, I've, so customer service is one of the biggest things. Um, you know, what I mean by that is right. Like, you know, giving people, for example, like my personal cell phone number, like WhatsApp and people, you know, and, and I, and I try and give people, uh, uh, you know, tell them not to abuse it or whatnot. And I don't give it out to everybody, but you know, certain people that, uh, I know are under a lot of pressure, very big clients. I'll, I'll give that out. But I think the biggest thing kind of leads back to what your point was before was, again, it's, it's customer service is one thing and conveying value, but then also being able to to justify the value and, 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 and show a client, okay, we saved you this much money, which, again, it's not, it's not every single case because um, some cases – you know, there, there, there might, there, there just might not be the ability to save people money. Uh, meaning, okay, like for example, if they um, are under a certain income threshold, they, they don't have to pay U.S. taxes, but they're an expat, so they have to file anyway. So there's really, unfortunately, we just can't save them any money because it's really just a compliance aspect. We're just helping them be in compliance, and as long as we do it fast and be on hand, that's that's one thing. But it's more than a peace times, of mind kind of thing. Right, that's a peace of mind thing. But then there's other times. Where I have, I've either um, looked at someone's return and said, you know what, your, your previous account did this wrong. We need to amend it, and I, we could save you X. And and that's where, where people really, really hop on board, and they really, really see that value because you did just save them money. And it could be from a, an account that didn't know anything, or it could be I've corrected a lot of big four um, big four accounting mistakes. And, you know, these are, this is – Obviously, supposed to be the top four firms in the industry: PwC, NY, Deloitte, KPMG, and you know, unfortunately, um, you know, these, 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 and I could speak from experience in this too, so I'm allowed to say this. But you know, these big four firms are, are kind of churning out people's returns. No one's really paying attention, and you know, people obviously get this service paid for by their employers, so they're just happy to save the thousand dollars or whatever by not hiring an accountant. 
but um, but they might not know that they're missing out on on, on certain things. And again, I've I've gone ahead and and pointed out mistakes and saved people thousands of dollars. So when you when you're able to quantify, you know, money saved or or same thing with tax planning, you know, doing okay, make this an S corp or let's set up a four a four hundred one k for you to save this amount of money or a defined benefit plan, you know, and especially this holds true especially for entrepreneurs where they have flexibility to, 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 to choose their salary to maybe put away money for retirement again this is kind of where people really do start tuning your horn because you are saving the money and and you could quantify that to them and obviously that is that is a direct ROI for the for the fees that they're paying me to, 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 to be their their accountants and I think that's definitely the the biggest way to kind of build up your practice and show value you know on top of just the, you know the, the daily customer service and and, and answering emails quickly and all that sort of thing is, is being able to really quantify how uh, how you've helped them and how you've increased their bottom line. Sure. You know, and I'm just thinking about for those folks who aren't in a business where the result is in such black and white of dollars, you know, you paid this much, you got this much kind of thing. Um, I'm interested, you know, when you we were talking earlier, I kind of felt like this came through of like, you know, this type of business, the service type of business, where it is very much the kind of the valuable advisor type of role. Um, can you talk about as you've grown the team and as you've tried to build your own culture, like how do you instill like, um, a sense amongst your team to, to actually listen to people and like give them that emotional feeling of being taken care of independent of the black and white numbers of like that you are a trusted advisor. This isn't just a transactional, check the box kind of thing that you actually care what happens to them. Um, I think, I think it's kind of a lead by example, um, you know, where you, and you emphasize, obviously it's important to, um, to, uh, you know, be there for your clients and, 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 and you're right. I mean, there is actually a lot of it, it some clients more than others, but there is actually, it is kind of an emotional support. Um, and it's kind of like, a you know, being like a financial psychiatrist that talks to people, you know, and, and people and, and hearing people's problems. And like my parents, I mean, I, I'm a son of a psychiatrist and a psychologist, right? So I kind of grew up with that sort of, you know, be, being in someone's corner and, and, and helping them through it and, and, and being super soft-spoken and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and so I think it is it is important to to um, – you know, to kind of to kind of echo those sentiments and, and also be there for somebody to, to hear out if, you know, they're having a bad year or, or they can't afford it. I mean, obviously, people are, you know, could also just be very scared of the government and, and what, you know, what's the plan or I can't afford to pay this tax bill. How do we go on a payment plan and, and all that sort of thing and really trying to to reason um, with somebody who, who might, you know, be pretty emotional about their, their tax situation, if you will. Uh, yeah, and and trying to be kind of a rock and and and, and listen, hear them out, and, and obviously also give them sound advice. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about it that way about being the rock for them. Like, there's this great book, uh, The Trusted Advisor, by Robert Meister and a couple other guys, um, and it mm -hmm. talks about like being smart isn't enough. It's really aimed at kind of consultants and lawyers and tax guys. And I I applied it a lot on the sales side of the world. Um, but basically like earning the right to give advice by becoming a safe enough person for them to like share the stuff they weren't going to share with just anybody. Right. Um, and, and so no, it's just true. Cause you do, you do end up getting to know people's deepest secrets like very quickly. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that you have year after year loyalty if they can feel that safe with you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I really want to talk about marketing and, you know, there's, there's people that maybe don't think Excel spreadsheets are that sexy. Um, and so I want to, I want to talk about how you get Forbes and CNN and everybody to cover you guys. But before that, I want to talk about moving around the world. I, I like traveling and stuff. Tell us about how you, you know, your choices for whether it's Argentina or Brazil or Colombia or, or the places that you decide for your own life. What, what draws you to different places? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, um, you know, when I first set set set, set out on this journey um, over six years ago, again I, I ended up leaving New York and, and and going down Argentina, and that was really just out of pure luck. I had some friends living down there, and I always kind of had this uh, this interest with LATAM and and whatnot. I went down to to learn to learn Spanish, and ultimately ended up starting a business. Uh, but so obviously, I think I'm a little bit predisposed to, to Latin America. I love Argentina. I spent a few years there. Um, you know, Brazil is also great with the beaches and, and the people. And Colombia, too, is just spectacular, really diverse place as far as uh, beach and mountain, etc. Um, so, again, I kind of pivot p- between the three, um, really, because I, 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 I like all three of them. They're all just equally different um, and all kind of bring something unique to the table. And, of course, like we have, you know, like some good client work around. And, and it's also kind of a business point, but really it's it's all mostly for lifestyle purposes. Um, but I, I can't say that I, I haven't, you know, I've, I've lived in, in, in Barcelona for a little while and Hong Kong. I've, I've been kind of made my way around the world. And, and I think that's also another cool part about our businesses. And I've been able to, to meet clients, you know, it's always like I have a, someone local in the city that I could ask for, for tips or advice and, you know, at least go grab a drink or dinner or whatnot with. So, um, I think that also makes a, a really interesting part of the business is I get to kind of meet clients face to face if I've been, you know, uh, interact with them over over you know, email and Skype for, for for over the years. So that's super cool as well, um, being able to do that and meet everyone. Sure, uh, it it is a lot more fun to go somewhere when there's someone local you can trust to give you point you in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Huh? No, it's a big it's a big game changer. Um, so, uh, if the rest of us are going to go, going to go see, uh, Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia, give us, give us a highlight for each, something we should do in each of those places. Oof, that's a good one. Um, Argentina, Buenos Aires, spectacular city. Um, you know, great nightlife, great food. Favorite, favorite restaurant? Uh, La Cabrera is by far the best steakhouse. Um, I would probably do two to three days, maybe four in Buenos Aires, and I'd go to Mendoza. Mendoza is spectacular with the wine and the scenery. And then also another uh, another really, really spectacular part of, of, of Argentina is a place called Barrio Loche, which is uh, just, you know, it's it's like there's seven lakes. You know, you could kind of hop around from the lakes. I mean, it's spectacular. I guess it, if there's anything to compare it to, it would be like Alaska maybe, um, you know, as far as scenic uh, in Patagonia. Um, Brazil... Um, I mean, obviously, as a city, I think Rio is spectacular. A little bit of a, a crazy city um, as far as, I don't want to say dangerous, but you have to watch out a little bit there, but still a spectacular place. And um, Florinopolis, if you if you happen to be there in the wintertime, anywhere from November through April, amazing place with, with good beaches and really nice people. Very, like, more well-organized in the south of Brazil versus the north. So it's also kind of nice to, to, to have that sort of level of organization with good internet and, and that sort of thing. 
Um, and then, and then Columbia, I can't say enough about, uh, about a few places. I mean, I, I, I spend the majority of my time in Medellin, which is a great mountain city, um, with a lot of really cool, like hiking trails and, and, and lakes, uh, et cetera. Obviously the coast is cool. There's Cartagena and then, um, you could go to Santa Marta and Parque Tirona, um, which is like a national park on the beach. Really nice. You could spend a day or two there. There's another Palomino. That's I, a few that's next to Tirona. That's awesome. Um, I think I must be thinking about lunch still, but, but, uh, so g- give me a, what's a good, what's another good, uh, restaurant recommendation if we make it there? Um, if you go to, if you go to Medellin, there's a place called Osio, which is excellent. What um, kind of food? It's like, um, it's like, a kind of like gourmet, you know what I mean? Like, not like any sort of particular, um, yeah, it's just more of like a gourmet kind of international, if you will. Hmm. Um, yeah, and a place called Carmen, which is also really good. Those are the top two restaurants in Medellin. So, so how much of an advantage do you feel like it is for the business that you're you're living the lifestyle similar to your clients, where you can say, "Oh yeah, I, you know, where they can relate to that." No, I'm going through the same thing. Um, I think I think that definitely helps. Um, I think obviously speaking Spanish and Portuguese also helps um, for those sort of clients. And then I think, um, but I think kind of yeah, being on their corner, you know, help letting them know that I understand because I live the same lifestyle is good. And, you know, obviously um, I practice what I, what I preach as far as, uh, as far as taking care of the, the tax advantage and expats. So I think that's also good. Uh, that's also helpful as well. Sure. You know, I, I feel like I've been through a bit of that pain, but, you know, moving from the California days in Southern California to Calgary and back to the States and stuff like this. Sure. What, what do you feel like is the number one mistake that people make when they're maybe leaving the country for their first year abroad or something tax wise. What's this like the rookie mistake you see over and over? I mean, the rookie mistake is obviously, um, not getting good advice, right? Because like, there's a lot of just bad advice out there, but I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, understanding that you, the fact that you can deduct moving expenses, the fact that if you're living abroad, you have the foreign earned income exclusion up to a hundred thousand dollars and, and, um, you know, also have the foreign tax credit available. Um, but I think it's just a lot of people, um, you know, aren't managing their expenses correctly as far as what could be deducted, what can't be, and then and then just aren't fully understanding the advantages of being an expat and, and, and making sure that they're kind of ticking the boxes in order to qualify for that um, so that they could they could claim what's known as the foreign earned income exclusion and the uh, first $100,000 of income tax-free. Okay. Well, um for me, uh, I kind of alluded to it before, but I want to talk about marketing. So, you know, I'm on your website, I'm looking at the media and you guys, have, you know, I'm seeing like 20 different articles here. Um, what, uh, what was your strategy or what are, what are your approaches when getting into, you know, CNN or NerdWallet or Intuit or these Yahoo Finance, these things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things. I mean, A is being proactive about reaching out to, to people. Like, I mean, I saw... Um, this writer in CNN, I saw she was writing about expat taxes. I reached out to her and became a source. I mean, the same thing with like the Wall Street Journal, for example. And so I think it's about being proactive and being kind of like we always used to say to PwC, like being a thought leader, right? Which really is a fancy word for just kind of writing work paper, word, uh, white papers and kind of just knowing what's going on in the industry and, 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 and expressing that via, you know, via, via these sort of articles. And, and giving people advice or writing blog posts, et cetera. Um, and so that's kind of, that's been part of my mission is, 
is you're trying to reach out, trying to cultivate these contacts that are people in the media. Um, you know, I use, I'm sure everyone's familiar with a place called Harrow, help a reporter out. That's always a good way to, to receive kind of daily emails on, 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 on what, uh, what, you know, writers that are looking for stories and looking for experts that definitely got me published a few places. But I think it's also really being proactive about reaching out to contacts. Um, so what, and, yeah, what will uh, an intro email from you look like? I mean, we all know the, the typical mistake of somebody who, you know, sends that self-promotional email of look at me, look at me that gets ignored by reporters. What, what are you writing to them that's obviously getting a response? I just write, hey, um, you know, you writing on anything interested? Can I be of help? Or, you know, hey, what do you think about this article or something like that? I mean, I kind of keep it, yeah, definitely not self-promotional. Just really kind of get their thoughts and um, maybe give them a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a story or, or an idea um, and say, oh, what do you think about this? Um, and, uh, and then that's what, you know, because sometimes a lot of these writers are looking for stories too, right? And so if you're able to give them an idea for a story. Obviously, not only are they appreciative of it, but they're also wanting to help you out and include you in that as well. Sure. Um, and uh, thinking about the commercial that with James Lipton, the Inside the Actor Studio, how did that come about? Um, so that's funny because James actually is the uh, – he, he, I've helped him out before. He's actually a long time. He's a family friend, and, and so we were able to uh, – so he was able to, 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 to give me an endorsement – and do a commercial with me, which was actually quite a, quite an honor, and an honor to do the commercial and see and see the man like actually, you know, working and and and, and kind of on a professional level, you know, with in the in in the studio, etc. So it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. That's fun. Yeah, it was cool. Well, um, when we were talking before the show, um, one of the things that we brought up you know, that you were, you were saying is just how critical the people aspects of especially a service business are like the team matters, no matter what kind of startup or whatever you're innovating, the team matters. But you were emphasizing that in a service business, I mean, these are the people who are talking to your customers. Um, do you want to talk more about your approach and, and maybe some of the hiccups as you've grown the team so much over the years and, and the things that are working? Um, I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, again, I mean, I think I think growing the team is is I think I think building a team in any business is probably the hardest aspect, and I think there's a few things that you need to be um, keep that in mind. One is sometimes the most qualified people aren't the best people, and you have to think about people that are going to really represent you and really have that fire to to do well by you and to and to work hard and and and, and even if they you know be a spent be a sponge and want to learn, you know, and those people are probably better fits than just somebody that, okay, this person has a solid resume. This person checks all, checks all the boxes as far as, um, as far as being able to, um, um, you know, work for us, if you will. Yeah. Do, so you, think, do you have any experiences with that you'd want to share? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I had a, I had a, I had a, uh, an employee last year that came from a, you know, came from an international tax background. Um, and, uh, you know, so again, kind of checked all the experience, uh, boxes, et cetera, but, you know, was not a, uh, a pleasant person to work with, um, and did, was horrible at taking feedback, uh, and improvement. And ultimately we decided it was not a good fit. Um, but again, she, she came with a lot of some experience, et cetera. And, um, but again, it was not a, was not a good fit. I mean, again, I think 
I think you have to look at people that are going to represent the, com- the company well and that uh, and then are going to work hard to um, to to deliver value to clients. Yeah. Because right? I think it's um, I mean, w- what we do for a living, as much as like it's it's glamorous, I, I do get to travel around, etc. Um, but obviously, during tax season, it's 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 tough. Yep. Yeah, it's a grind. And and really no no one really understands it, I think, other than other accountants, to be honest. But it's uh, believe you me, it's a grind. Mm-hmm. And so and so you really want to identify people that are that are that, that know about it, that are kinda of gonna work hard and again, it's not you know, it's not a nine to five job during that time. Yeah. Um, no, so as you were telling that story, I was thinking about when we were running the fund in Calgary and like when one year we'd hired two MBAs really experienced guys. And then one guy with, I don't know if he graduated college, maybe he did, but it was probably in like physical education or something. Okay. Right. Right. And, uh, but he'd been working in the investment space and, um, you know, one guy was engineer and, and a lot of financing background. The other guy was like, came from one of the largest banks in the country and big salaries, you know, but supposed to be big performers. And it was amazing how, you know, the guy whose degree was, I don't know, kinesiology or something. Right. Just ended up right. working circles around this guy who was supposed to be from the big bank. I mean, we paid him this big salary for multiple months before we ended up letting him go. And um, and the guy interviewed well, and his resume was epic, right? And right. and yet keeping him would have been a huge mistake. Um, and, and, and I know what you mean. I was going to just to add to that point. To add to that point, which is which is um, you know also the other point is cut your losses. If, if, yeah, if that was my mistake. Out. I didn't cut them fast enough. Like multiple yeah. multiple staff members. I I just told myself, oh no, we can fix this. We you know like you know it's a problem. You know it's not a quick fix thing. But I just you know I want to be nice. I want to be the nice boss. Of course, and, trust and, me, I know. Yeah. Right? I know. I do know. Um, but yeah, I mean that's 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 the issue with being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's there's obviously tough decisions to be made as well. Yeah, I mean. For me on that one, eventually it comes down to like, I have to tell myself, like, I know that I'm actually not doing them a favor when realistically this is not going to work out and I'm just prolonging the time before them finding something that has a higher probability than this, you know, but whether it's my own like fear of confrontation or being uncomfortable, you know, I put it off and I'm not really doing them a favor, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, what about conflict? You know, humans have different opinions about things and, and staff members, you know, at one point or another get annoyed with each other. And, you know, as the founder, as a CEO, whatever, you kind of get the, you almost get the parental role sometime. Um, any advice of any thoughts of like, man, I'll tell you, this is one of the times I messed it up, but nowadays I'm doing better because I do it this way. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've kind of been, I've always kind of tried to be like a folly figure and, 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 and been a mediator. I mean, we haven't had too many conflicts, so to speak. I mean, I think the biggest is really, and I don't even call it a conflict, but, you know, between me and my partner, just kind of hashing things out. And I think, you know, again, we're, we're very different people um, in a lot of ways and, and have different ideas. Mm. And so, you know, we've, you know, had to put our personal friendship aside to, to hash out certain, uh, uh, you know, work work problems or not like problems, but like, you know, really trying to hash out what we think would be the best approach for to handle certain issues or, or deal with certain things. Um, so I think it's also important to, again, you know, you, you might have kind of, you know, very personal relationships with other employees or, 
or other, you know, co-founders, et cetera, and, you know, putting those relationships aside and saying, okay, this is business. How are we going to deal with these, you know, X, Y, and Z? Um, because, yeah, I mean, sometimes tensions could be high and, and you have to realize, hey, this is only business. Let's, let's, let's get to a solution. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I feel like, you know, two partner, two person partnerships, you know, the, the odds are so stacked against them working out long term. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so having that capacity seems like absolutely critical. Um, I think about, you know, in several of my businesses, how many of the business failures were, were an issue of, of me and my partners, you know, um, as, as a prime reason they didn't work out versus I look at, you know, my one, my one partner, he'd been my mentor for five years and then business partners for six years, uh, with me and my brother. And I really feel like, you know, I look at, I look at multiple partnerships that fell apart, unfortunately, and the one that, you know, lasted over 12 years in the one case and six years in the other case. And I really feel like they cared about me more than the money. Like when it really came down to, they thought I was completely wrong. I thought they were completely wrong. At the end of the day, it was this thing of like, I, like we got to this place where I care more about them than the money. They care more about me than the money. And that eventually right. lets the emotional side, you know, simmer down enough that we can just go, okay, I'm willing to do it your way, even if you're wrong or, you know, like, or we, I don't know. I just think about the ones that broke apart and it was, Hey, everybody's friends until there's like a real emotional decision. And I think you're going to lose this money by going this way. You think I'm going to lose this money going by this way. And when it comes down right. to it, you cared more about the money than me and the partnership didn't last. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I know what you mean. Any, any book recommendations you'd have for innovators or entrepreneurs out there? that uh, you feel like everybody should be um, reading? You know, I mean, I'm going to go like for kind of an obvious one, which was one of the ones that inspired me early on. Not that I've read about it and went and did it, but shortly thereafter, someone gave it to me, which is for our work week. Mm. I kind of felt like that was a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty inspiring. I also like, um, uh, Seth Godin's books, like the, the purple cow. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of, uh, thinking about, like, um, you know, outside the box thinking when it comes to, uh, like marketing, et cetera, is important. You know, I think it's interesting that one specifically because because you guys are so specific about the expat taxes, right? The, right. His whole premise in that book about you want a cow that's purple because people will talk about a purple cow, like they'll do your advertising for you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just guessing that because you guys have been specific, because you are the expat tax guys, that referrals are not that hard to come by from one expat to another compared to if you did everything and all oh, they'll do expat stuff too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Those are great. Um, yeah, that's no. That's been that's I think been the biggest, and that's just another advice for anyone. I think is, you know, obviously we we made our niche and and and, and the expat taxes, but I think it really is a matter of, of 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 focusing on a certain niche, certain industry, and and, and really trying to to um, you know to be the experts or, or, or be the number one product and and and, and one thing as opposed to kind of generalizing. Sure. Well, um, speaking about trying to get attention, you know, we always like to ask guests for advice for the charity. We started child rescue, trying to prevent child sex trafficking and, and, uh, help kids out of the situation that are in it. Um, you know, one of the things we're doing right now, we're helping, we teamed up with a couple other charities where we're expanding this aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. If you were going to give advice to us of, of our purple cow or trying to get more Americans to care about, uh, these kids in Peru and, and have them not feel like, oh, just the kids off the infomercial, like really have that connection to them or something. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you have for us about getting the word out? Anything like that? 
Um, I think, um, so, I mean, a few things. I think one being, um, I mean, in the United States, maybe doing some sort of pen pal program or something with like a Spanish class or something like mm. that where you're, where, you're, where you're communicating directly with these kids in Peru and these kids in the U.S. Um, uh, you know, I think that kind of gives like a very real um, sort of twist uh, to that sort of thing. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, I think a lot of it, a lot of these sort of problems could be combated with education, right? So, you know, making people more in Peru more aware of this, making people in the United States more aware of this, and and and, and doing something of that, that nature. Um, you know, I mean, as far as fundraising is concerned, I think it's a. Uh, I've always seen, um, you know, if you were to like, let's say, um, let's say, uh, join forces or, or have some sort of joint partnership, if you will, to like with a local supermarket or local, you know, where if, when people are checking out, they could like add a dollar to their to their bill and and and, and get money donated. I think that's always kind of a good way to to to, to earn um, to fundraise, if you will. Um, or to raise money, I should say, for a charitable organization. Um, you know, because people don't think about it, but then I'm sure that you're checking out at, at a supermarket and um, and you could, um, you know, donate a dollar. Why not? Yeah. I, I really like so, your pen pal idea. It's so specific. I think, you know, it's not a generalized thing. It's like person to person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what, what, what gives the most impact. Yeah. Um, another question. We, we'd like to ask people about you know, thinking about experiences, whether it's mentors, whether it's a parent, whether it's one of your first bosses, somebody who had an impact on you early in life of like setting the example of how to treat others. Are there any experiences that come to mind of, you know, I saw so-and-so and and they could have really done this, but they chose to do that or just anyone in general that you feel like had a real impact on you? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, my parents were, were impactful, but I mean, I'd say as far as like being an entrepreneur, I had like one entrepreneurial professor in college and I think he was the one that really kind of, at Michigan, you know, super successful guy. Yeah. Michigan. What, what's super his name? Successful, Len Middleton. Okay. I mean, he was one of those guys that was, you know, very successful, you know, did bought and sold a few companies and kind of did, was a professor, um, uh, you know, as kind of a, a, a as a way to do something while he was kind of still retiring and 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 and, and had his hands on a lot of projects. Um, and I think he was somebody that really really influenced me. You know, I had a, a, a like, like. What's an example, or what was different about him compared to other professors? Um, I think kind of you know everything else. When I was in business school, everything else is very much like you know like by the book, you know, meaning, okay, like study this textbook or study this case study, but he would always just pull out, you know, random case studies or random, um, experiences or projects that he had worked on. And, and so he made everything like a lot more sort of, um, you know, real life, you know, and like he wasn't teaching just what was taught in the books, but really kind of, and, and again, I mean, I think personally, he also just helped me on certain projects I was working on. So it was also kind of more of a one-on-one influential, but even before we got to that level, I mean, just kind of going to his class and, 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 you know, people throwing out ideas, this class and him either shooting them down for X, Y, Z or him or, or encouraging others, you know, because he liked it. I think it kind of, he kind of was a very straightforward person. Um, but also, you know, really got us, thinking about it, you know what I mean? Because I mean, being an entrepreneur and, and thinking outside the boxes, I don't think it's, it's, 
um, you know, not, not everyone's kind of built with it. Um, you know, people might be built with like certain spirits or certain sort of um, a certain level of drive. But I think I think there's a lot of entrepreneurship that's just taught like as far as how to go about thinking about solving problems and, 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 and creating you know, creating companies out of nothing. You know, I, I love hearing the experience about a guy who doesn't have to, but takes one-on-one time with, with people on their way up. I think, uh, yeah. personally, I feel like generosity is like a really, uh, <laughs> I don't know, under-acclaimed asset. And uh, yeah. uh, you think about, out of all the experiences and the thousands of people you meet, how much that one sticks in your mind from a guy who didn't need to be there, but was there kind right. of thing, right? I think it's all, I think it's about paying forward too, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure like, obviously I've had this you know, experience. I'm sure you, you've had the same, right? And, and then you look at it as, um, as, as, as if the opportunity presents itself to, to pay it forward. If someone reaches out to me and people have reached out to me and I've kind of taken time to hop on a call or, or whatnot. And I think that's kind of the whole aspect, right? And that's, and that's why when people, you know, when you when you when you talk about, you know, when we talk about reaching out to like these big time CEOs with like, you know, just a little email or like a question, they will get back to the little man as long as you're not trying to promote yourself because they know that hey, you know, when I was at that person's uh, shoes at, at one point in time, and 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 and, and someone helped me, and yeah. so I think it's you know that's why it's so underestimated as far as trying to reach out to people that might be. You know, kind of in a position of power because they were not always in that position of power. Well, and it's it's contagious, and like as much of a benefit it is for the person you're helping. I feel like I feel like the person who helps gets as much of like a, a high out of being of service. You know, like it's like a, a quality right. of life thing. It's it seems like a waste of time, or it seems like a hassle. And then at the end, you're like so glad you did it, and thinking yep. like I should really do more of that. You know, mm-hmm. that's great. Well, yeah. really appreciate you making time for us on the show, and uh, congratulations on the year-on-year success. Thank you so much. It's been, a, it's been an awesome time. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.